there's going to be a much needed turn of people when all this is over. Uh, we're going to be back uh, heavily seeking a lot of folks. I hope they'll come this way. You're listening to the Union Up podcast, a podcast with conversations on issues facing business managers and local trade unions across the country. So my guest today is Randy Beal. Randy is a second-generation sheet metal worker and 30-year member of the Sheet Metal Workers Local Union 85. He has served the membership of the Sheet Metal Workers Local 85 as executive board member, organizer, and business representative. And in September 2016, Randy was elected to serve as the business manager and financial secretary treasurer for the Atlanta North Georgia Building Trades, which represents over 14 different trade unions. He also serves as the president of the Georgia Building Trades Academy. Randy, welcome. Hey, Rod. Thanks for having me. So, Randy, we're living through this strange new reality of COVID-19. I wanted to talk about the construction industry and about workers' rights specifically. I've been reading about NAB2's different press releases on how they're managing this, and tradespeople are concerned about their jobs, but they're also concerned about their personal health risks that they could be facing if they show up at work. Where do the building trades stand on that balance of keeping safe and keeping the job sites moving? And what are you hearing in terms of how employers are trying to keep workers safe while they're on site? Well, you know, what I would say is that NAP2 uh, in, in Washington has uh, done a very good job of, uh, you know, getting construction into the essentials uh, businesses, which, which we are. You know, we provide infrastructure, we provide uh, work at hospitals and power generation and, and many other uh, construction projects. And, you know, they, they effectively, uh, you know, got that inserted in there. And of course we have concern of our, our membership and what is uh, going on on the job site and making sure they're safe. And many of the job sites that are continuing to work, which are almost all of them, in fact, in Atlanta and North Georgia, not, not many have been shut down, but They've done things like staggering start times, staggering breaks, staggering lunches, and that minimizes contact with each other. In, in general, construction workers pretty much work in either by themselves or, or in pairs and two. So there's not a lot of congregating. And so they've done everything they can to minimize that congregation, if you will, of, of people. And I think they've done it very effectively. The, and so far, knock on wood, you know, as we look at projects like Plant Vogel, where there are four or 5,000 construction workers, we haven't heard of any breakout down there whatsoever. And uh, Plant Bowen, where they're working 800 people right now on maintenance, zero outbreak. And so we have conference calls weekly about those jobs. And that's just to name a couple. But uh, I haven't heard of any jobs where there is a, a major outbreak of COVID-19. So. I think uh, the employers, the owners, us, NAB2, the unions themselves have all, all done a great job minimizing the risk, you know, to our members while they're doing their essential job. They got to work and uh, not only work for their own benefit, but work for the good of all of Georgians. I was reading about the measures that Plant Vogel has taken to ensure people's safety, having a, what essentially amounts to a a clinic on on site to make sure that everybody is safe and taking the necessary precautions. Have you heard of any other measures like that on other job sites in your jurisdiction? Well, I know that, you know, some jobs, they're, they're not doing it on the job necessarily, but they have asked members to take their temperatures in the morning. There are talks about 
doing temperature checks on the job, but that no one has implemented that yet to my knowledge. But they're asking people to do it at home. And if they are, you know, running a temperature uh, fever, then, you know, stay at home at all costs. And, you know, because we're such a tight brotherhood and sisterhood, I know if anyone is having symptoms, I, I know that uh, the way that we work in our membership is no one will put someone else at risk. Of course, the unseen evil of this particular virus is you can be infected and not know it and not show symptoms for several days. So that's why we do the staggered start times, staggered break times, and staggered lunches. But the um, so you can't you can't mitigate all interaction and all uh, risk. You can't get rid of all of it. But uh, they've done a good job, and we're, we're rest assured that our I know our members will do the right thing if they know they have symptoms or become symptomatic. So those are good things. The other important thing that you know, and we try to be everybody is in the same situation, uh, right? Is most middle class and upper middle, lower middle, however you want to put it, they live paycheck to paycheck. And while that's sad and it's a, it's a reality, and the uh, the fact is they have to go to work. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot about frontline workers and we tip our hats to them and those working at hospitals. And But, you know, our folks are, are right there doing essential things that have to be done to keep power on, to keep uh, hospitals running. And, you know, they're right there. They're frontline workers as well. That's why it was important to NAB to, important to us to make sure we try to keep them employed as long as we possibly can. We cannot, we certainly cannot dictate to a company whether or not they shut down, but uh, keeping construction projects going are certainly our, our main focus. You mentioned essential, and, and we read a lot about that, particularly the signatory contractors particularly compete and win on those critical jobs where a lot of union members work, like hospitals, data, communication centers, power plants, infrastructure, et cetera. And then there are the non-essential deemed certain sites non-essential, what factors go into that? In other words, what sort of jobs remain wide open and which ones are shutting down? I'd like for anybody to find what essential really means. You know, I've looked at the mayor's orders of Atlanta. I've looked at uh, other from around the country, and there's some very loose definitions of what that really means. But, you know, of course, it's easy to draw a line at power and and hospitals and uh, data and, and all those things. You know, we're we're seeing there are no construction projects, zero, that I'm aware of at the moment that have completely shut down. There's been a couple that have limited access to certain trades and certain amount of manpower, and they've scaled back, but that's only a few. But even high-rise buildings downtown are still working. They're going. Now, is that essential? It's essential if you're working on it. Uh, but... Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, that's, uh, you know, if you're one of those men or women out there earning, earning a paycheck, it's essential. So the best definition that I have, and like I say, it's so loose, is that construction has been deemed essential. And in fact, because unions offer a service to their contractor by way of providing manpower, the union itself, the office becomes essential. And because we offer a service to the unions, we have become essential. And attorney, believe it or not, because they offer services to all of the above, they're deemed essential. You know, when you start building the pyramid, I begin to question what isn't essential to be honest with you, because I think a lot of people can make a case that, it, especially around construction, everything's essential. So that's my take on that. No real good definition. It just says construction. So I maintain that there's a lot of people that are out of work. I mean, jobless claims are up, filings for unemployment has skyrocketed in so many business sectors. And it seems to me like there are 
a lot of employees where they're reading about essential industries and they would like to be in a career that's deemed essential. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about long-term recruiting for people who may not have considered a career in the skilled trades that might be because of the essential skill that you learn that will last you a lifetime and the essential nature of the business of construction? Yeah, I have. I actually give that a lot of thought. And, you know, just thinking, you know, where we're headed in the country, who knows? Lord forbid we see unemployment numbers get to 30, I mean, even 20%. But, you know, 30%, as experts are saying, is something that no one in, in mine in your lifetime has seen, yeah. uh, nor would we want to be a part of. But we may be heading in that direction. And I hope what it really does, right, above all, is even if people are only out for a short time, I hope that they take an opportunity to reevaluate where they're at in their life and their career and really give a hard look at other occupations, you know, certainly construction and union construction, what the benefits are, you know, how we're looking after our members, how we're trying to make sure that they they maintain the income and keep up their life as they know it. And they'll, they'll take an opportunity to evaluate is that job they're in really what they want to do the rest of their life. Even, like I say, even if they go back to work uh, very quickly, you know, people will look at that and we'll we'll take a hard look at what they want to do in their life moving forward. And certainly construction is going to offer great opportunities. You know, we're going to have a little lull. The economy falls a little bit. We're certainly going to prepare for a change, but uh, we'll still be taking in people. We'll still be taking in apprentices and pre-apprentices. And, uh, you know, people really need to take a hard look at where they're headed in their life and their career through this uh, adversity that we all take. I agree. As the president of the Building Trades Academy, I know you deal a lot with high school counselors and the high school system in general. I maintain that there's a lot of kids looking at some of their, maybe their older peers that did the college thing now have a mountain of debt in an economy that is suffering and might suffer for a while here. Have you talked to them about the construction trades? Has there been any dialogue about people changing their minds and maybe looking into the Building Trades Academy as a result of this? Yeah, uh, so we uh, we run a program in the academy called Youth Build. It's directly aimed at 16 to 24-year-olds in underrepresented areas and uh, underserved communities. And then, you know, it's a challenge. We're in a recruiting phase right now, and, and maybe that would be a, a good future podcast for you as to speak to the director of that program. But it's a challenge because we have reached out to the counselors. But, of course, as, as you well know, schools are not in. Right. Uh, 12-month employees are only ones reporting, meaning janitors and, and maintenance and stuff of that nature. But so it, it's obviously created a, a, a certainly a challenge to help those that are most in need, you know, the ones that were working menial jobs to begin with that are really looking for a better life and a better way. So, you know, we're pressing forward with our academy. We're looking into virtual training and how do we do that? And, you know, how do we provide a service to people who you know need it? I, and apprenticeships, uh, you know, apprenticeship classes right now are, I don't know of any that are continuing to meet uh, in person. All of them have switched to their online, like many colleges and uh, schools are doing. So, you know, we've had to adapt in a very fast changing environment. We've had to adapt like everyone else. And, you know, thankfully that technology is there, which again goes back to why is construction uh, essential? Well, those data, those data centers have to be running. 
And, you know, if we're going to be a world that lives on the Internet and performs training and does all of the business via that kind of media, then, you know, we got to have the data centers behind it pushing it. You know, when you begin to think about all of it, it all ties together. But I'm hoping that through all of this, that people will take a hard look at what they're doing and, and reevaluate, you know, what they want to do in life. And the apprenticeship programs and the unions are here to help. We're going to be taking people in. We want to put them on the right career path. And there's going to be a much needed turn of people when all this is over. Uh, we're going to be back uh, heavily seeking a lot of folks. I hope they'll come this way. You're listening to the Union Up Podcast, a podcast with conversations on issues facing business managers and local trade unions across the country. Hosted by Rutland Walker, founder of Union Up. Union Up develops marketing programs that help local trade unions to recruit new members, grow market share, and increase contractor roles. For more information, visit unionup.net. I was reading about the IRAP model and the and the final ruling on that and from what i've read the the building trades the current model that has been so well respected and so well researched and so well played out over the last you know 100 years has generally been accepted is that a fair assessment it is, yeah. I mean, you know, I go to a lot of meetings uh, in and around Atlanta with different work source agencies and sit on the state workforce development board. And people talk about apprenticeships like they were invented yesterday. Yeah. And, and like, and I always pipe up and say, hey, look, uh, we've been doing it for 100 years. And, you know, it's kind of funny how they kind of overlook labor and what we've done and, and where we've come with our apprenticeships. You got to realize NAMTU spends $1.1 billion billion per year in uh, all their affiliates and training. If we were a college, I think we would be the third largest college in the country. If we were a school system, including LA school systems, we'd be the number six largest in the country. So we have a robust training program recognized by the Department of Labor and people uh, starting an apprenticeship tomorrow in their industry and they're like, oh, we're doing this. And we're like, that's great. And, and you know, we should have came to us to really glean our expertise on how you can really make it function well because you know i mean it's great if you want to start culinary apprenticeship great do it but it's funny they don't tap our knowledge and resources they act like they're the first that's ever broke the ground right. and uh, you know in a lot of in a lot of arenas we are looked at as the premier and we are the premier construction apprenticeship training programs a lot of people know this and some people don't but what separates us from technical colleges and, and other uh, I'm not going to say fly-by-night, but some of our fly-by-night training uh, organizations are is that I think number one is we offer on-the-job training. So that is big because if you go to a technical college and learn how to weld, they don't have a job to put you on. You're going to be flipping hamburgers in the daytime and learning how to weld at night. That's not the way to learn how to weld. You will learn as much or if not more from that journey person on the job during the daytime than you will in school at night. So that on-the-job training element is what separates us from everybody else. And then when you throw in the fact that we're zero tuition training, uh, there's no debt being built up, you know, it just throws us well over the top. But if you just look at the on-the-job, you want to be the best of the best. And the best way to be trained is uh, on the job combined with classroom training. And we're the people that do that. And I think that's what separates us. And you have to be on the job in order to be on the job. In other words, if you're in a technical school environment that's shut down and you're working in a job that got shut down, it's going to be tough for you to continue your path. Whereas 
in the building trades unions who have that apprenticeship program. Even when the classrooms have been shut down, you've got that online element and you've also got an industry that is deemed essential. So you're going to work. Yes. That's right. Yes. You know, we have guidelines. Most of them are like 280 hours of classroom time per year and then around 1,800 hours of work time. So let's just look at that, right? I mean, you're getting nine times the training on the job than you are in the classroom. And while we'll never replace classroom training, it's important, it lays foundations, there is no replacement at all for that on-the-job training. And so, yes, during these times, you can do it online, but really that that working on the job is where you're getting so much of your training. You know, I I may not remember a lot of what I learned in the apprenticeship. I mean, it's in there. It's very deep somewhere in this uh, somewhat of a brain I have. But what I do remember is I can recall certain things that my journeyman told me and, you know, how to do certain things the right way and and just a quicker way and and all this, I can remember what Mike Kelly taught me how to do. And yet I might not remember what the book told me, but I can remember what that person told me. So, uh, yes, it plays a very uh, essential part. And glad we still have that opportunity. And we're thankful we can do the uh, virtual training. That's great. You know, I'm glad we can adapt and quickly move to that. Our apprenticeships have done a good job of doing that, but so glad we can still get out on the job and learn from that uh, journey person that, that's gone before us. Yeah, and there's nothing that substitutes for on-the-job training. Which of the building trades unions has this new reality affected the most? It's a tough question because, you know, really, uh, as of right now, like I said, not many jobs have shut down. I haven't heard of mass unemployment across the construction sector or anything like that. I would think that it's probably been disruptive, possibly even equally to all of them, because, you know, the union meetings can't be held because we can't gather in ten or more. We we have graduation for apprenticeships that have been postponed. Yeah, You know, it's little things, but then you have unions like you know, Kenny Mullins with IBW has done a great job of being a forward thinker. He's uh, made adjustments on his health and welfare plan to his disability to his members have access to benefits if they're affected by COVID-19, which I, I think is awesome, you know. So so he's been ahead of the curve trying to help his membership and, you know, doing things behind the scenes that maybe his membership may or may not even know he's done. So he's taking a very active role, not saying others haven't. I just know what he's done. And I think he's the only one I know today that's done adjustments to benefit to combat this problem that we have. They're the largest union, so I guess if they had any impact, I guess it would be they would be the largest. But again, I don't know of any major jobs that are shut down. That's when it becomes the biggest concern for the managers and agents of these unions is when the people can't get to work. And so, you know, right now, they're in a tough situation. I know some people would say, yeah, they can work from home and I've got to go in and all that. But these managers and these agents teetering a very fine line. They know their members have to work, but they're also trying to protect. That's a big task, right? To know that you need to ensure that they have income coming in, but how do I go about protecting them in the very best way that we can? It's a tough chore, but they're making it. They're they're doing good things. And, and again, I can't applaud Kenny enough for what he's doing with his membership. I think that he's really thinking forward. Yeah, he and he's very active on social media as well, talking to his members, which is something I recommend any business manager do. What rights do the members have on the job site if they do feel unsafe? Has there been anything that OSHA said about it or any job safety precautions on the job sites that are being put in place specifically as a result of coronavirus? 
Oh, no, I, I don't know of anything OSHA's done. I mean, I'm not saying they haven't. I just haven't been made aware. You know, but the main things I've heard is like the Department of Labor, you know, come out with the guidelines that if you feel like you're in fear of catching it or you have a spouse at home or maybe you're at risk yourself or whatever may be the case, you have the right to ask for a layoff or a furlough and, you know, or you can even quit the job and you can draw unemployment, which in the past would have been taboo. You couldn't do that. But that was the, that came down from the Fed. Uh, Department of Labor. I will say this, though, before anybody acts on that, Georgia has to adopt that. And, and I, I can't tell you the status of that. I'm sure we have. I, I just haven't read it anywhere. But, you know, just because the guidelines are put out there doesn't mean that your particular state will take the monies that are tied to that to pay the unemployment. But I'm sure Georgia will if they haven't already. But, you know, there's that protection. And, you know, I would tell anybody out there that, you know, has a compromised immune system or family members at home, it's a personal decision. You got to do what's best for you. And it's easy for me to say, you know, don't let finances overcome what you know is the best thing to do for you and your family. And, you know, that line that these business managers and like myself, that we have to walk, you know, and because, uh, you know, our members make that decision. I know some of them are making that decision today. That's probably not in their best interest of maybe their family life. Uh, could be someone sick at home, but they know that they've got to provide. And and not just in construction. It's in abroad around this country. And so, you know, people are weighing that risk compared to what is real life. You know, I, I told some folks right that uh, I wish the government would have passed freezing uh, mortgages and loans and and payments on those kind of things for three months because that would have made people really, you know, at ease. You know, the stimulus check is whatever, but if you freeze mortgages for three months and, and any loans out there, people will look at finances differently if they know they're not in risk of losing their home. And we need to keep work going, but we also need to be safe. And everybody's got to make that decision for themselves. And the good part about the building trades unions is you've got people advocating for that. I maintain that there's millions of people, like I said earlier, that are affected by this. That There's a talent pool of people who may not have been open to a new possibility of learning a new skill set in the construction trades. If someone were in that space where they're thinking about, hey, maybe there's a different path, what would you say to them and, and how might they learn more about the building trades? Yeah, sure. Well, so uh, in general, I would tell them to go to, uh, if they're in the state, you would go to org. A-N-G-B-T-C.org. And uh, you can find our website there and, and links to the different trades and the description of the trade. Uh, they can also go to Facebook, constructioncareers.com, and find information out there as well. In both places, they can submit an inquiry about an opportunity. They can go, if they go to our website, they, uh, they and GBTC, they can look at each different trade. They can research uh, and find out which one in particular they like and, and narrow down and see the opportunities there. There are opportunities. The apprenticeships are still going to go. We are going to start classes in August. No, I mean, it's going to happen. We cannot stop recruiting. We cannot stop taking apprentices because people will retire. People will leave the workforce. We're going to continue to take people in. People shouldn't think that just because things appear to be slow that they shouldn't try. They should absolutely try. And a word out to all of our men and women who serve our country. First priority is always given to men and women who serve our country in the military. We have a program called uh, Helmets to Hard Hat. They can go to helmets to hardhats.org, look that up, sign up, 
go to the apprenticeship and let them know they're former service members, and they will go to the front of the line when it comes to entering the apprenticeship. So I think that's important for us to share, and uh, we honor our men and women in that way. Randy, I really appreciate you spending time with me, and I'll put all those links in the post here. Thank you so much for spending time with us, and um, I appreciate what you do. Thank you, Rhett. Appreciate it, and uh, just want to tell everybody out there be safe and uh, know that Building Trades members, our uh, men and women, are on the front line doing their job every day and are proud to do it on behalf of Georgians and all of America. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. You've been listening to Union Up, a podcast with conversations on issues facing business managers and local trade unions across the country. For more information on this podcast or to help your local grow, visit unionup.net.